Good morning, VCF. My name is Rajiv, and I'm excited to share the word with you today. Um, the word today is love, and we're going to be talking about God's love, God's love in us, God's love uh, through us, and how we impact the world because of it. And I just got a sense this week as I was praying for you all that I think we're in a moment of culture, we're in a moment of time where people wake up feeling extremely unloved. And I don't know if it's the season, I don't know if it's COVID, I don't know if it's a mix of everything, but I, I tend to feel that most people actually experience, most Christians especially, experience our Christian life without actually experiencing the fullness of God's love. And um, we are in a performance-based uh, culture where everything we do is based on how well we perform and I've never seen anxiety levels at an all-time high as it is right now. And a lot of us are used to performing. We're performing for our job, our bosses, our communities, our churches, our families, our spouses. We live in a time where it's hard for us to even receive good words or affirmation or encouragement that people might want to give you. And it's, and it's hard to even receive that. And as I've been praying for you guys, I have felt uh, the depravity of living a Christian life without love. And I have felt that way in my life before. And I realized that we're in a time where we're not encouraged. We're actually very discouraged as a people. And um, I felt like God has something to say about this today. And I wonder if you're like me, at the end of the day, when I go to sleep, the way that I evaluate myself is based on whether or not I checked off the list of things or activities or ambitions or dreams that I had for that day. And the way that I see, the way that I measure if, if God loves me is how far along I am with respect to the dreams and the visions and the goals that I have. And if God is somehow fulfilling those things in my life, then I can receive love. If he is not I cannot receive love. And I think we're, if you're anything like me, we're in a hyper-driven, hyper-competitive society where we're very hard on ourselves in ways that are grossly unhealthy. And today I wonder if there's some of us that may have to be stopped in our tracks. We just have to stop and we have to ask the question, if the things that I'm doing do not have love in them, then is there any use in what I'm actually doing? And if I'm a Christian and the, and the, and the foundation of this Christian life is, is experiencing the love of God to such an extent that it overflows from our life, but if I'm a Christian and I'm not experiencing that, I'm just going through the motions of obligation and ministry, what am I actually doing this all for? And if that's you today, or if you've experienced that at some point in your life, I think that God has a word for you. Love is supposed to be simple, but then it's also complicated. It's the great mystery of God. He is God of the mystery, and he's also God who, who loves the children. And so love can be complicated. Last week, um, we took Simone and Soleil to SeaWorld, and Simone had been there once before, right before COVID. We had got season passes and she loved to get on the rides, and she loved to get on the rides like uh, repeatedly, one after the other, 
They're, they're, they're kid rides, of course. But this time she's four and she's a little older. And so we were having a great time at the park. And then we were going to end the, end the day with, with one of her favorite rides from a year and a half ago. And so she actually remembered it. You know, she was not even three, but she remembered it. And she was like, I want to go on that. And so there were huge lines because SeaWorld just opened up. And so I took her and, you know, we waited about 30 minutes in the line. And then we ended up getting into, it was the teacup thing, the teacup uh, thing at SeaWorld. And she was so excited, except when we got in the ride, she wanted to sit on my lap. And I said, Simone, I don't think you can sit on my lap. You have to sit to the side of me. And then she started freaking out. She started panicking. So I tried to play it cool, and I just kept her on my lap until one of the attendants came and said, she can't sit on your lap. And it was this moment where I said, Simone, I promise I will hold you. You don't have to worry. I will hold you, and this is this, and you'll be fine. And I've never seen her panic like that before because she's actually a very brave little girl. And so, and so I just, we just actually walked out of the ride before it started. And here's where this, this, uh, this internal uh, monologue with me came about with being a father. And Simone could sense the disappointment that I had because we had waited 30 minutes and I just really wanted her to enjoy herself. And she saw my disappointment and she started to cry. And I realized at that moment that what the, the way that she felt loved before is I would take her with me. I would take her to adventure, to adventure, to adventure, and she would love it. This time, the way that she wanted to experience love was for me to understand her fear. And I didn't want to be one of those dads that, that, that gets disappointed for something so small. And I realized I was that dad at that moment. And so I realized that I have to not only be a better dad, but I need to learn how to love Simone through, uh, through her growth, through her maturity. And sometimes for us, when we're younger, it's easier to experience the love of God. Because God comes in an overwhelmingly objective way. When I was nine years old, I lost my mom to cancer. And for some reason, you would think that that would completely rock somebody's world. And it did. It did, but it did it in such a way where I felt the love and the grace of God completely outside of myself. And he held me and my family together. Even though it was hard, he held us together. Then, as I got older, it became more difficult for me to experience the love of God, even though I had gone through worse things and experienced the love of God before. And a lot of times we think that it's harder to experience the love of God as we get older because God demands more of us. But while that might be true that God does require more of you as you grow in Him, what's more true is that you require more of God. The, the older you get, the more that you know, you actually require more of God. But the thing is, you, you receive less from Him. And we have this superpower, this unhealthy superpower, to go with, while running on empty. We have the ability to go and to manage and to work and to have relationships and to even be married and to even have children without God's unbelievable love. That's the driving force in our life. Our relationship with Jesus is like this. And it's interesting because even when Jesus came to this earth, when God wrote his love letter in the form of Jesus to earth, when, he, when God said, I'm going to step into earth and model a relationship 
with God so that the people can understand and receive the love of Christ. Even when he did this, there are certain things about Jesus that people widely accepted. He was a good man. He was a prophet. He healed. He did good things. He cared about the poor. And so these things were sort of widely accepted. But then there were other parts of Jesus that even the Israelites and even the disciples couldn't reconcile. See, God's love was so multidimensional that there's some generic things that we can take, but then there's some specific things that we don't know what to do. Jesus says, you have heard that you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that uh, if a man looks at another woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery in his heart. So he takes what the law presented, but he takes it to another level. He shows what the law really has to mean. It was a thing of the heart. So here, here it is. Israel could accept certain aspects of Jesus, but they could not expect, accept the fullness of Jesus at the time. And so it's like this with our relationship with God. There's aspects about God's love that we completely understand, but there are aspects of God's love that we don't. And it is in this space of dissonance that I feel like God has a word for us today. It's hard for us to admit and say that we miss people. <laughs> it's hard to admit that we just that that we've been created to love God and to love people and that's it. I have heard so much over this last year, year and a half about calling and purpose and and while I'm all about that and while I truly believe that that God wants us to move forward and, and do these things for him so that we could change the world together. I felt like today we just have to stop and address love. Because if love doesn't shine through us, if love is not the primary motivation for the things that we do, then might I say we have nothing. We have nothing. So, as Jesus takes what we know is true about love, he exposes the heart behind it, right? We see this all throughout scripture. And so today, I feel like we are waking up in the morning and we are do, doing things because we have memory of, we have body, we have a muscle memory of it. You know, we come to church, we turn on our Zoom, we're doing all these things, we're doing ministry, we're going to work. It's all muscle memory, which is good. But I wonder if some of us today need to be reminded of the, of the foundation of our Christian faith. So we're going to talk about love really quickly. I just wanted to look at the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13. I have to talk about 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if i have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love i am nothing if i give away all my possessions and if i hand over my body so that i may boast but do not have love i gain nothing and so the very first thing i want you guys to consider is this it is possible to do amazing things what we would define as amazing things or great things or big things without love. It is actually possible to, to uh, partake in, in things that are bigger than ourselves 
and to do certain exploits or do certain uh, uh, projects that are awesome, but not have love. It's, there's a category for that. And some of us might actually fit into that category today. It's, it's, we, 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 make, we do many mighty things with no love, but we wouldn't actually call them nothing. But here Paul calls it nothing. Because the lust of our eyes, the weight of our achievement, maybe the money that it brings, it doesn't actually feel like nothing. And so we allow this fake something to overwhelm the nothingness and we become numb to love because we're so satisfied with the bigness of things or the credit of man or the applause of man that we're willing to move forward with no love. And I want to say that our culture is so performance-based that we have to be careful of this human capacity that we have to function on empty. And if, and if there's some of you here today that, that, that are watching that function on empty or you're really good on functioning on empty, I want us to stop and evaluate why we are doing the things that we're doing. To, we, have to, we have to decide whether running on empty is enough for us in this next season. Because I just don't understand at some point all the things that we do, all the achievements that we do, even the things that we hand over to our kids or give to people, and if we're not experiencing the love of God, what is it all worth anyway? John chapter 13, just two verses in John chapter 13 says something very interesting. And Jesus gives us a quote-unquote new commandment. And so John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When I read this, the first question I said is, what's so new about this? Isn't that, isn't that what he had been preaching all along? I mean, it's even in the Old Testament. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, and love, your, and love one another. And, he, and remember in uh, Luke chapter 10, when the lawyer comes and says, you know, good teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love people as yourself. And here, Jesus is kind of saying the same thing, but he calls it a new commandment. And here's the newness about this particular commandment. You'll see it in verse 34. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. What Jesus is saying is this. I want you to model love for yourself and for people through the love that I have for you which means that God's love has to come to you in order to fully be able to do things and relate to people with real love. And so this is, this is the newness that comes from this commandment. It's very strange that it's new. And even in 1 John, when, when uh, the, the author is writing about God's love in 1 John, he calls it a new commandment as well. 
Now, if you turn to 1 John, so, so we are looking to function out of the love of the Father, okay? We have to have the love of the Father. Now, look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires are passing away, but those who do the will of God live forever. So the thing about it is this, the love of the Father is not in those who love the world. And so when we don't feel loved, when we don't feel loved, it's probably one of two things. We're not actually going to God for love. And we probably also have a love for the world that we didn't identify was a love for the world. See, a lot of, lot of Christians will, will use the word world as if they have nothing to do with it. But see, when Jesus said, you are going to be in the world, but not of the world, it's, that, is our, that is our purpose and our calling. But in our flesh, we will still struggle with the of being of the world part. And I think there's a lot of us today that are not experiencing the fullness of God's love because physical pleasure, greedy longings of the world, and pride in our achievements and possessions is something that we actually struggle with. And maybe uh, put another way, the desire to have stability in our achievements or our possessions actually robs us from experiencing the love of God. And we have to ask ourselves today, in what ways are you putting so much stability and uh, stock in your achievements and how you self-actualize in this world that is robbing you of God's love? I'll give you an example we're re- we refinanced our house last week, by the way, which is a good idea because the interest rates are really low right now. But we refinanced our house last week, and the guy was te- the the person who was the guy de- who we were dealing with was he said, "Wow, look at how much look at how much uh, more your house is worth now than it was when you bought it." And he was he spent twenty minutes telling me how great of a position we are in because we bought at a certain time and now the prices are, are higher. And so what I did as a result is I went and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into real estate, so I started looking at homes in our area and, and I started uh, uh, thinking about what, what our house will be worth in five years. And, and I realized that I was getting very excited and happy and overly joyful about my current state with our house. And I realized something in that moment that it's little things like that that are natural and normal and it's fine to be happy that you have a house and then it, it has, that you got a decent deal at it. It's fine to, be, fine to find some pleasure in it. But the moment you think that stability arises from that, that is when you start to misappropriate what God's blessing was in the first place, and you start, to, you start to trail away from what God's love really is. On the other hand, 
Love is, is never-ending, and we'll read more about that. Love is eternal, and it has the ability to coincide with temporary things. So this is where I think is really important for us today, is that a house that God gave us could be a place that takes us away from the love of God because we put so much stock on, its, on the earthliness of it and the, and the stability and the pleasure that it can afford us. On the contrary, love can actually be a vessel by which, or love can make the house a vessel by which the love of God shines through. So if God's love is in us and, in, and God's love is in our house, then love can actually reside in our house and God could use our house for eternal purposes. I think that we, you and I are not good at allowing eternal purposes to dwell in temporary spaces. And I think this is why we're grossly confused because we tend to think of love as, you know, either romantic love or, or just di- or directly with people. And that is both true. But love is much more dynamic than that. Love is a permanent thing that never ends. Even after this world fades away, it never ends. But we can still experience God's love even in the temporary things of life. We can experience God's love in the material possessions that we have and in our pursuits in the dreams and the projects that we're all working on, we can actually experience God's love there. It's because we don't have a category for that where we miss out and we don't know how to experience God's love in its fullness. That's why some of us are waking up so tired and overwhelmed and depressed because you, don't, you didn't know that God's love is in everything. You didn't actually understand that God wants you to experience his love when you go to work. You didn't actually understand that God wants you to experience his love when you do Christian things, when you do ministry-related things, that when you come to prayer or when you come to church or when you serve on different, different ministries, that you're actually supposed to experience God's love, not just the burden of it. And there's too many people that are experiencing the burden of things and, you're, and, and, and just going by the Christian duty the Protestant work ethic, but you're not experiencing God's love. And so God's love can't move through you in the way that he wants. You're shortchanging yourself. And so the big question is this, how does the love of Jesus, the love of the Father, live in temporary spaces? And how can love shine through these temporary pursuits? For God's love to shine through, the vessel, a.k.a. you, a.k.a. me, or the thing that we're doing, cannot be what I would call spiritually opaque. And when something's spiritually opaque, that means that you can't actually see through it. Okay, if something is, is dense or if you have an apple, you can't see through the apple, Right? But what you and I want to be is we want to be transparent and translucent so that we and the things that we touch are clear. It has to be clear so the light and love of God can go through it. We don't want to be opaque, okay? We don't want to be spiritually opaque. And I think, I think what happens is this. When, in 1 John 2, when it says, 
greedy longings of the mind, pride in achievement, physical pleasures, stability in earthly things. What happens is this, when we start to find our footing in those things, when those things start to be too uh, attractive to us, when we start to hold on to those things, we are actually becoming opaque, which means we are not, we're not reflecting light, we're just absorbing it. We're absorbing the light and nothing can go through us. But when we, when we decide that we are not going to let those things, um, we're not going to let those things be an earthly temptation for us or the thing that we dwell our minds on and we want those things to be transitionary and a blessing to people, then what happens is we become translucent. We become more transparent. And, we, and, and the light and love of God can shine through us, right? These temporary things. The same house that Rajiv and Lydia and our girls have can be a house that is an earthly ple- pleasure that, that produces false uh, ideas of stability and comfort. That same place can also instead be a dwelling place of love if we, as the vessels of God, decide that we want to be translucent and we want it to allow, allow God's love to materialize through us. And so I feel like there's a passage in 2 Corinthians. Before we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians 4 that really speaks well to this. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. And this is the, 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 the treasures of jars of clay. Some of you guys remember jars of clay, the group. I really like them. And this is where they got it from. I'm going to read verses 5 through 12. When you have time, you should read the whole chapter. The Second Corinthians 4, 5 through 12. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God, for it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give this light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Last week, my brother spoke about FOMO or the fear of missing out. And he talked about social media and how uh, uh, that kind of promotes FOMO in all of us. And it's interesting here, how many of you would put this, who, who, who would take highlights of your life with respect to affliction, being perplexed, being persecuted, being struck down? 
You know, people usually post the highlights. What about the lowlights? And it's and 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 what, what what Paul is saying is this: it's actually in the low lights, it's in the spaces where the death of life, death of Christ resides in you, that the life of Christ can also shine. And see, what we do is we portray everything to be going really well in our interpersonal relationships, in our families, even in our own souls. We portray, we are accustomed to portraying a life where everything is going well. And then we wonder why the life of Christ cannot shine through us. Because it's actually the places of death in our clay vessels, in our jars of clay, that allow the life of Christ to also be shown as well. And see, love coexists in the worst places, in the most bitter places of our soul. Love comes there. And I wonder if some of you have been painted an unhealthy version of love, or you feel like you feel like you have to prepare to be loved. There's work for you to do before you can be loved. And if that's you today, understand this, you will actually never experience love. Because what Jesus did is he says that you are loved before you do anything. Love is not only the motivation, but it defines who you are. Your, the definition of who you are is beloved child of God. And if you don't know that, it's going to be very difficult for your life to actually be full of love. It's ironic that you don't actually have to do anything to experience the love of God. You just have to say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. And you have to be willing to love the people around you. That's all you have to do to experience God's love. It's actually very simple. Now, I love verse 5 because it says this, For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. For we do not proclaim ourselves. Even in places of ministry, especially in America, people proclaim themselves before they proclaim Jesus. And when we proclaim ourselves, when we present ourselves, when we make things about us, when we become self-absorbed, self-absorption, light and love cannot pass through us. God's love cannot move through us because we become spiritually opaque. But the more that we see eternity through through the temporary things that God has given us, the more the love of Christ actually will work in us. So it's almost like our bodies, our jobs, our passions, our projects are a telescope by which we can see eternity. They start to become a portal by which we can see eternity. See, everything that you do has to have a hole in it. And that hole, we try to cover up, right? Because we don't like holes in us. We try to cover it up with, with uh, social media posts or, or words or whatever. But the death has to be in everything you do. There has to be a hole because that's the portal by which the Holy Spirit shines his love in and through you. At the beginning of this pandemic, I decided that I was going to start working on my new album, my last album. It was my seventh and final album. 
And because of the season, I wasn't actually experiencing much of the love of God, to be very honest with you. I was very, I was, it's not like, it, 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 I don't know what it was. It was hard to experience the love of God for some time at the beginning. And I was dry. I felt very dry. And I felt very alone. Even though I'm married with two kids, I still felt lonely. I don't know if, I don't know if you guys can relate, but it's possible to be lonely uh, even when there's people all around you. And, and, and I started to work on music, and it is so hard to work on music when you don't feel loved. <laughs> it's, it's almost like, it, 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 the very definition of music for me is, is, is love. And everything I did was so bad. Every song I created for the first three months was terrible. It was so bad. It was so poorly written. There was nothing. There was no color in anything I was doing. And I realized that I had to just stop what I was doing before I created the worst thing I would create. And I realized that in order for me to be even creative, in order for me to do something that would be of value, I just had to experience God's love. Guys, it's not even that complicated. It's, it's just not that complicated. I had to sit and wait until and and change things in my life and switch noises out and all the negative thoughts that were coming in I just had to say God before I can move forward you have to deal with my mind so I had to repent from certain things I had to just stop and I had to realize I had to remember so what I did was I actually would go on walks and I would listen to my first and second albums to remind myself of who I was before. And honestly, it was the first time that I've ever listened to my music. I don't listen to my music unless I'm about to do a show. Otherwise, I never listen to my music. And it was the first time that I could listen to my music and receive from it. I've never received from anything I've done. And God told me something. He said, when you do things out of love, you'll be able to receive from the things that you do. You'll be able to receive from all the things that you create. You'll be able to receive from all the people that you love. Some of you are married, but you don't actually receive love from your spouse. I've been there. Lydia knows that, so I can say it. I've been there too. And it's not necessarily your spouse's fault. It's actually the fact that God wants to break in and he wants you to experience love in a different dimension. And if you don't receive from the things that you do, which means you don't get energy from the things that you do, you don't feel alive by every time you get to work, have the privilege to, to do something, whatever it is that you do. It could be art, music, medicine. You could be a project manager. You could be a writer. You can be a painter. Whatever it is that you do, if you don't experience this unbelievable energy and the love of God, then I think it's time to pause. I think it's time to pause. And when we look at 2 Corinthians 4 and we talk about treasures and clay jars, it's not about being self-effacing or putting ourselves down and saying, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, so that God can be something. That's not what it's about. It's just we have to be clear. You know, you, 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 the best, best athletes in the world and the best artists in the world, they practice so that they can get themselves out of the way. Whenever you prepare, 
Whenever you prepare for something, you prepare so that you can get yourself out of the way. Once you can get yourself out of the way, then you can, you can perform at the moment in exactly the way that you're meant to perform. But if you, don't, if you don't prepare and get out of the way, you will constantly be that apple where we can't really see through you or this speaker. I can't really see through it what's on the other side. Preparation, coming into a space of repentance, identifying the areas that you're dry in and not, not going on autopilot and not using that fake superpower and saying, well, it's okay, I still got to do it. I still, have to be, I still have to hit the finish line. Learning to not do that is the way that you can prepare yourself and be clear so that the love of God will, will come with every vocational thing that you do, with every spiritual thing that you do. Every time you sit and pray or lie in bed, God is with you day and night. The love of God wants to join you in temporary spaces. I, I, I think it's worth harping on our great capacity to function on nothing. Where does that come from? If love is not our source, how are you and I able to function when our tank is on empty? And I think it's, it's this thing about our flesh that we are so willing to try anything to feel important that we're even willing to circumnavigate love to, be, to feel valued. And it's funny. The reason why we do that is because all we want is basic love of God and from people. I want to look at, go back to 1 Corinthians 13. And let's go to the verse 4, and we'll read till verse maybe 10. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. See, it's interesting. With love... You have the ability to put boundaries on things because love is never-ending, right? When something is forever, it shines a light on all the things that are temporary. So it's love is the great detector of all the things that are temporary so that we can relate to the thing that is temporary in an appropriate way. People who are full of love do not, put family, do not put their work over their family. People who are full of love do not, put, um, do not put their careers over their, their friendships. I'm not saying you have to be a social butterfly. But when things 
take precedence over people, I would question, I would question it. I would question it. If you think about the sun, right? For right now, the sun is permanent. I know one day, like, the sun won't exist. But for right now, let's just say the sun is permanent. As, as much as all of you, as, at least as long as all of you have been alive, the sun has been permanent. Amen. It, it, it rises and it sets and we know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so the sun tells us when to work and it tells us when to stop. It's, it's actually an invitation for you to wake up in the morning and live and live that day to its fullest. Now, can you imagine if you lost your wedding ring in the desert, in the middle of the desert, and you need light to find it, and it's somewhere in, in, in five square miles in the desert, in the sand. And so when the sun comes out, that's when you're working to find it. And it's out of your love that you're trying to find your wedding ring. And then when the sun sets, it's kind of an, it's kind of a natural boundary to stop looking and wait until the next day. Yes, your wedding ring is very important. And you want to find the precious stone that's there that you had lost. But your precious diamond will not be found at night because there's no light. And you'll be digging for nothing when the sun goes out. See, a lot of us are like that. We're digging to find a precious stone and there's no light. But we keep digging because we, our barometer is not love, the thing that's permanent. Our barometer is achievement, or it's comparison, or it's this unhealthy expectation that maybe we've had since we were a little kid. We will never know when the sun sets, and that is a very sad thing if you live your life and you don't know when to stop. Because if you don't know that, then you'll never know the love of God. See, God's love is the, is the best detector of all things that you should not be wasting your time on. You should be giving some time to those things, perhaps. But maybe those things have taken over in an unhealthy way, in a way that diminishes and dampens the fiery love of God in your life. If we go to verse 9. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. It's interesting because Paul writes this beautiful, poetic description of love. And it's, I mean, you've heard this in every wedding that you've ever been to. And yet, and yet the very end talks about the fact that love never ends and, and that the fact that we're in this, in this uh, now and not yet place with respect to the kingdom of God. In, in the very passage of love, he talks about love, loving to be in the middle of temporary things. I think it's really fast. See, if I was writing this passage, I would have just said, love never ends, period. 
verses 1 through 8. That would have been the best way to end this passage. But he goes on to talk about the fact that now we only know in part, then he, we will fully know. Now we prof- for, for now we only uh, know in part and we prophesy only part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. And so love, the very thing that, 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 that is the core of 1 Corinthians 13, is put in the context of a partial reality in a temporary place. So love was designed to coexist with the temporary. And you and I are designed to live in this world where we only know in part. You and we were actually created. When God created us, he knew that we were only supposed to know in part, especially after sin came. He knew. So he knew that Jesus had to come. Jesus, the fixture of permanent love, came into our, and, and he even came in a temporary body. Love came in a temporary vessel, relatively speaking, or figuratively speaking. And, co-exa- and it came to let us know what? It came to let us know that God is interested for his amazing love to be a part of our temporary life and temporary pursuits. We were designed for this. We were designed for this. This is why it's so important for you and I to allow God's love to shine through everything that we do. Love is in the business of being in the not yet of life. Jesus dwells in the details, in the structures, in the jobs, in the companies that you work for. Man, he also exists in Zoom. (laughs) Like Jesus exists right now in that chat room, in that chat space. God exists even in this temporary space where no one is here at church. And this is the ideal space for love to grow. Some of you have thought that Love can't possibly grow in this time. Let me wait. You know, we always play we always play the odds game. And God doesn't do that. You don't actually have needed to meet anybody in this pandemic to be married in 2022. You don't need you don't need um, to have all the signs of partnership. Because God's love loves to work in these spaces. Your partners or your business partners or the next thing that you're going to create is there because God loves in those places. God's love resides in the temporary places. Some of you don't get it. You're always looking for your circumstances to change. No. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love in the middle of partial realities. In, in spaces that are not fully there yet. This is where love works. And we have to realize that we need to stop trying to, stop trying to exhaust ourselves, trying to uh, beautify our circumstances or make our chances better. And we have to just stop and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us up with His love right now. Right now, right this moment. Not another day can pass by without you and I experiencing the fullness of God's love. Too much is at stake. And we have to experience it today. And I just want to close with, this, with these two verses in John chapter 15. And I'm sorry I'm bouncing around, but love demands that. 
In John chapter 15, verses 16 to 17, he says this. This is when Jesus is the vine, the true vine. And he ends this little section by saying this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. First of all, God chose us. You didn't choose him. But some of you act like you chose God because the way that you pray, the way that we pray is convincing God to do the thing that we want him to do. So I just want to let you know that whatever you were created to do, God wants you to do that more than you want to do it. Okay, that's the first thing. And sometimes we don't experience God's love because we think we are more interested in bearing fruit. Maybe this is the sermon for some of us today. We think all the fruit bearing is put on us. But I promise you that the love of God says, no, I am infinitely more interested in you bearing fruit, especially in only fruit that will last. Not the temporary fruit, but eternal fruit. You know why eternal fruit? Because love is forever. And love is the impetus for internal fruit, eternal fruit. It's interesting, at the very end in verse 17, I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. It's because Jesus' command to love one another is attached to bearing fruit. And whatever you're building in this season, whatever you're working on, whatever you're doing, whatever relationships you're fostering, is it tied to people or is it not? What is your motivation? If it's not tied to God and people, then I don't know what we are actually doing. I'm not saying that your gifting has to be one that's relational or, 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 or directly meeting with people one-on-one. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, whatever you're doing, it has to be something where you are loving people. You have to actually just love people. It's interesting how people will tell me, I just don't feel loved in this season and it's hard for me to experience the love of God. And then they have nobody in their life that they're actually loving. How can you experience, how can you be translucent? How can you be a person who experiences the light that comes into your broken temple, into your, into your earthly vessel? How could that happen if you don't have people that you're actively loving? I'm speaking to myself and I'm speaking to you. Families with kids. It's great that you love your nuclear family. It's the most important thing you can do. But do you know that God might have created you to love people outside of your nuclear family? Or is that a wild assumption, right? Single people in your 20s or 30s or 40s or wherever you're at, you can love families. Families, you can love singles. You can also love people that are not in your political party. You can love people that look nothing like you. You can love people that think nothing like you. And, and when you do that, actually, you find the radical love of God come, the agape love of God come. Every time Jesus talks about loving him and obeying him, he always talks about loving humanity. He always, you remember um, in the book of, I think it's John, at the end where, where he's being crucified and he makes arrangements Right before he dies on the cross, he makes arrangements for John and his mother, for, the, for his mom to live with John from now on. 
that that would be his, his new mother and, and he would be her new son. So they're vertically looking up at Jesus and he makes arrangements for the horizontal. That's a picture of the cross. Vertical and horizontal. And it's unbelievable how people will say, yeah, I'm doing good. You know, my, I'm, I'm, I have a relationship with God. That's all that matters. That's true. It is, what, it is the primary. But if you don't have relationships with people, if you are not spending your energy on loving humanity, I'm not talking about even random people. I'm talking about the people that God has given you. If you don't focus on loving people, then you will never actually know the fullness of God's love. You were not made for an island. You are not, it's not you and Wilson like that Tom Hanks movie. You were made to coexist with community. And I know community doesn't feel good right now. But we're opening up soon. The world is opening up soon. And despite that, even in this partial reality like 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, God's love coincides. I want to end today by just saying, how are you loving one another? How are you loving each other? How are you loving your spouse? How are you loving your children? When you go to sleep at night, was your day, is your evaluation or assessment of your day based on how many things that you've crossed off your checklist and how much closer you are to your supposed dreams or desires? Or can we start to choose a completely different set of evaluations and estimations, and that being, how well did I love God and humanity today? I really want, I really believe that for the future of the church, the way that we, the, the way that we evaluate the day is how much of God's love was present in our life and how translucent and transparent were we so that everything we touched would be touched by the glamour of God's love, would be touched by the excellence of God's love so that whether you're creating music whether you're making a speech, whether you're working where nobody sees you, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, or you work at Trader Joe's or whatever you're doing, everything you do would be marked by the love of God. VCF, may that be true about this church, that everything that we do is marked by the love of God. No more nor less, the love of God. Families, talk to other families. It's not just about you and your kids. The fragrance of God that changes the world when, when if you want to be a person where every time you move into a space and the aroma of Christ is on you is not based on what businesses you started or how great you are or what, how talented you are. Nobody cares about that. Those things fade away. The, the, the fragrance of God is based on how loved you are and how, how the knowledge of how loved you are by God and how well you love other people. And this is the only thing that will change the world and it's the only thing that's worth living for. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your love that cannot be tamed. And there's many of us that are tired and exhausted because we're running on empty. And we're always performing. 
And we're always wondering what so-and-so is going to say and what these people are going to do. And God, I pray for whoever is listening to this right now that they would experience the love of God that goes beyond performance, that goes beyond the to-do list, that they would start to, that we as a body would start to experience your love for what it really is. Quiet, loud, fiery, gentle. Would we want to be marked by your love more than anything else in this world? Because when we are loved and when we have love, all other virtues and pursuits are optional. Come, Holy Spirit, give us your gift of love today. We want it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.